Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to the legendary free solo climber Alex Honold about fear. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Sometimes I like to give a guest who comes on the podcast a present. And I watched your film yesterday and... There was no way I was not going to be bringing you a present. Oh, yeah. So now you're not the easiest to buy for because I know that you are vegetarian Hmm. and you don't drink alcohol and you don't drink caffeine. Is that right? That's all true, yeah. So you're not this. this I'm not sure if this present's going to land, but I still, I forked out on some uh, swanky chocolates. That's the perfect for I love chocolate. Oh, your face uh, lit up. I'm over the moon. I was like, I was hoping it was something simple, something. (laughs) something delicious. This might be my breakfast. I might eat this right now. Uh, Go for it. I'd be delighted if you did. I am over the moon to have you with me. Even just walking through the office just now, obviously I sort of come through this way with some big sporting stars and, you know, you can see people's faces Mm. kind of like incredulous, uh, uh, some of them. And obviously a lot of people here don't know who you are. 
But I think if they did know who you are and what you've done, their reactions would have been a little bit more on the extreme side. So you are a free solo climber. Uh, yeah, sometimes. I mean, I, I would call myself a climber. Just who, a climber. Who also free solos. Okay. And you climbed a 3,000-foot vertical cliff without ropes, and that is, that's what this film is all about. Yeah, yeah. And that 3,000-foot cliff is? El Capitan. El Capitan. In, uh, in Yosemite. Okay. Yeah. So um, can you just describe like what that looks like? I mean, uh, I mean, you really just have to see it, particularly in person. But uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's a three thousand foot vertical granite wall, so it's a sort of white rock, light colored. It's striking. It's sheer. It's, I mean, it's grand in in the real sense of the word. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's awe inspiring. It's significantly taller than any skyscraper in the world. Well, yeah, actually, the Burj Khalifa is almost as tall. Right. Uh, so the tallest building in the world is almost as tall. <laughs> but the tallest building in the world is, you know, basically twice as tall as any of the other. Okay. Big skyscrapers in the world. Right, okay. You know, it's more than twice as tall as the Empire State Building. Okay. Yeah. I was, let's say. Okay. So um, and you know, so like the Shard here in London is is oh is Lord. tiny compared to a uh, peanuts. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I've I've climbed uh, uh, the Empire State Building and I've stood on top and I stood nowhere near the the edge. Yeah, you, were you the get first, the wind. You're at the first third. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you get the wind whistling whistling around even at that height, right? Yeah, it depends. Um. Actually, in, in somewhere like Yosemite uh, National Park, where, where El Cap is, there actually isn't a huge difference between the wind at the top or the bottom. Okay. It's like you're kind of in the mountains, and if it's a windy day, it's a windy day. And if, right. it's, if it's not, you know, I think with buildings, you experience something slightly different because at the bottom of a city, you're just not necessarily experiencing what's going on in sure. the atmosphere. Where, yeah. And then a thousand feet above it, you're sort of yeah. out of the city proper. Okay. But in the mountains, it's a little bit different. To climb El Cap, as you did, without ropes... It's been described as as a quantum leap forward. So even for free solo climbers, so people who do this professionally, who do this all their lives, if the thought of doing what you did, even to them, is like insane. That's fair, yeah. I mean, so for me, it was sort of an incremental step sure. in a way. I mean, it was still a sort of big step, but um, but I've done a lot of other free solos that are that are similar in, in size and scope. But uh-huh. the thing is that those were all the first time that they'd ever been free soloed as well. So I mean, basically. Uh, you basically, when I became a professional climber in 2007, since then I've been sort of taking small steps forward and free soloing, right. you know, every year, kind of culminating in in El Cap. And so for me personally, it felt like lots of little steps. And then yeah. and El Cap was was a lot harder than than several of the other things I'd done. But you know, I was already like kind of out there. And I think that um, yeah, like you said, that's all sort of beyond what other people have been doing right now. Like we said, I mean, painting the image of, of climbing anything without ropes, but particularly things like El Cap with sheer drops, you know, it's an incredibly, incredibly dangerous sport. And that's borne out by the number of people who have died doing it. And you know a lot of them. Uh, and there was even the film itself was dedicated to Uli, who, who died, what, just a few months before mm-hmm. before the film came out? So that kind it? of thing is, is more complex. It's more nuanced than right. than, uh, than even the film might, might make it seem. Because, I mean, Uli died mountaineering, and so he was on a snowy slope and, and basically fell down a, a steep, you know, mountainside. Very different than, than a cliff face, where you're basically free-falling. I mean, it's impossible to know why he fell because he was alone. So he, he may have just slipped, but he more likely was probably hit by falling snow or ice or rock or something. Because basically yeah. when you're in the mountains, things things are happening. Things sure. are changing. You know, yeah. could have been hit by an avalanche. Uh, whereas rock climbing, like I was doing in, in somewhere like Yosemite, that's a really static and, and unchanging environment or relatively unchanging. Um, you know, there are fewer objective hazards. So I don't know. Basically, those it's complicated. And some of the other people mentioned in the film as having died 
you know, in the mountains. A couple of them died base jumping. A couple of them, you know, it was basically they died in sort of peripheral activities. They weren't oh, actually free soloing, and they, oh, right. and they definitely didn't just fall off a cliff. Base jumping, I suppose, is also falling off a cliff, but <laughs> yeah. but it's intentionally falling off yeah. the cliff with okay. a parachute. But then, it, you know, they had accidents. And do you do any base jumping? No, 100% not. Because um, it's... Yeah, just... because it's way too risky. Really? Yeah. Okay. And one of the ways you can... I mean, if we're diving into risk... So base jumping has an absurdly high level of of fatalities and, and, you know, things happen base jumping, but the thing is that they happen as frequently for beginners as they do for experts. So like the best base jumpers in the world seem to die at the same rate as the the worst base jumpers in the world. You know, it kind of shows that it's a fundamentally dangerous activity and there's Mm -hmm. just this base level of risk. You know, basically you're always rolling the dice, it seems like. Whereas with free soloing, my, my favorite statistic is that no free soloist has ever died doing anything cutting edge. Like nobody has ever, you know, some people, well, lots of people have died free soloing, but they mostly die in sort of mundane, you know, easy climbs, basically if they're complacent. But nobody's ever died doing anything that was actually the hardest thing that they had done. So, you know, nobody has died pushing the limit of the sport. They just sort of die in, in accidents because they're, you know, well, it's hard to know why. And also, um, you know, beginners, probably die at a, at a greater rate than, than experts with climbing anyway. So I, I don't know, it's just sort of a... And I understand what, why you would say that when doing these um, sort of edge-pushing climbs like you've done, wouldn't be as dangerous, well, not as dangerous, but wouldn't be as, <laughs> as uh, uh, statistically fatal, for example, because of the yeah, focus and, that and, you have to and have. And that's kind of the whole point of the film, is showing yeah. the two years of preparation and showing how much, you know, how dedicated I am to the pursuit of that that particular climb. You know, so by the time I do the climb, I'm, I'm yeah, I've been training for two years. I'm yeah. totally ready for it. So we painted the picture of, of El Cap, but I do encourage anyone to look at it or watch this film because yeah. I, I was watching it in the office just yesterday. And the people around me were like definitely thinking I was behaving very oddly because it was on a small screen. I was looking through my my fingers at times. My stomach was going, you know, I was gasping. You, you talked about your sort of preparation. So so you'll say it took you two years to get to that point. And there was an aborted attempt pre- a year previously, right? Yeah, six months before. Yeah. Right, okay. And that's yeah. what we saw in the film yeah. where you just went up and were like, okay, I'm not feeling it today. Yeah, exactly. And then June 2017... Yeah, 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 June 3rd, yeah. Yeah, so you've been building to this moment, and what amazed me was, you know, there was all this anxiety, and obviously your girlfriend, who is clearly like an angel. <laughs> yeah, uh, she, yeah, she is. Like, she is. <laughs> she was, you know, super anxious. You, you were too, and then the morning of it, boom, you could just tell. You were just more relaxed, and it, just the change in your persona and your energy yeah, well, I mean, on the morning or the morning or the day before I think it was was just crazy so now what was going well, through I mean, your head that specific I mean a lot of times you can be you know worried about something stressed about something forever but then once you finally make the decision and sort of flip yes. the switch like this is happening once you commit 100% then it suddenly becomes pretty relaxing because the decision's been made there's no more hesitation there's no more doubt there's no you know like it's happening and then uh-huh. and then you just see it through and then so for you then at that point when you made that decision and, and you knew there was no way back in your own head the anxiety just fell away and it was just like okay. well some i mean you know you've you've basically made a conscious decision that there's no more second guessing there's no more no more hesitating like this is now happening so i mean i think up to that point you can keep going back and forth like are you you know am i sure i'm ready like is this you know is this really something i want to do but once you decide i'm ready then you move forward right okay uh, another thing that tickled me was like how relaxed you were and yet your crew were just absolutely... But that, that's pretty normal, though. I mean, yeah, yeah the, the film crew is all horrified. But it's because, I mean, as you saw yeah. yesterday, I mean, watching free soloing is just it's hard to watch. You know, and, and I think that's always true because, you know, as the actual soloist, I know how, how 
comfortable i feel how confident how prepared i am but anybody watching doesn't really know what it feels like on the inside so it looks super scary so L Cap has it's got broken down into these he's got these great names. Yeah, every climb is broken into pitches, which right. are the little sections. Okay. And so so L Cap is broken into about thirty pitches. And then sort of the key pitches have have names to them. And the one that obviously where I was gasping at my most embarrassing in the office yesterday is called the Boulder Problem. Yeah. So where you basically you're two thousand odd feet in the air. Yeah. And you're essentially stuck to the side of a sheer rock side by like the smallest ledges that are almost uh, yeah, you ledge, almost can't ledge. see them with your eye. They're, they're even close up. I mean, the footholds are, are probably the size of the edge of a coin. For real. I mean, the footholds are really, really small. Or maybe like the 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 width of a pencil or something. <laughs> you know, like a pen. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's like, yeah, no, actually not a pen. That's too big. No, that is too um, big. Yeah, it's like, it, it is more like a coin probably. Actually, the handholds are probably the, the edge of a pencil maybe. Yeah, sure. So if, can I just have a quick look at your hands? I've always yeah. intrigued at this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, look at those things. Crikey, O'Reilly, they are, <laughs> they are special. They're just beautiful hands. <laughs> they are beautiful. <laughs> they are well-formed, beautiful hands. <laughs> so, yeah, back to the boulder problem. So there you are. And to get over this, around this, or across this... Or yeah, across. It's like a deal with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had face. two choices. One that involved the leap... Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And I, when when it came to the moment, I was like, "He's not going to leap. Please don't leap." And you didn't leap. Thank yeah, no, Lord. no. I, I mean, and, and I say that during the preparation. I mean, I always considered the leap completely yeah. out of the question you're because right. okay. you know you don't want to know that your whole life is coming down to this one moment where you're flying through the air, and if you don't <laughs> catch the edge, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just all a little too extreme. Yeah. Uh, so what you did decide to do was this sort of so it's like a karate yeah, kick karate sideways. Kick. So this karate kick. So you've been preparing for two years, so doing sort of various stretches to get you, mm -hmm. your leg in. A position where you could even manage it physically yeah well basically the more flexible i was the more comfortable the the kick felt right you know okay. because basically if your hamstrings are really tight and you can't make much of a stretch then you sort of have to fall into the corner oh, whereas the more you can stretch the more you can place it there okay. uh, statically and this was basically the make or break moment yeah, uh, certainly it was painted like that yeah so, so. The, the boulder problem is the hardest part of the whole route and then the karate kick is sort of the culmination of the boulder problem so yeah. i mean it really is like yeah, this yeah. is the moment and i don't want to ruin the film for anyone who, who hasn't seen it but, well, um, you, I mean, having me on already did. It's like, obviously, I survived. Yeah, so He made it. Yeah. The karate kick made it. But that will not stop the level of anxiety that you will feel at that moment. So, yeah, you made that. And then from there on in, just massive grin on your face, basically run up the next thousand sheer feet of rock. Kind of. I mean, um, there's still a bit of hard stuff above that. The Enduro Corner that they show in the film and then the Traverse. Those are still actually, I mean, from the top of the, the boulder problem to the summit, done just totally by itself would still be among the hardest things yeah. that I'd ever free solid. Yeah. But um even though it's only one third of, of the total climb. But uh but yeah so much easier than the boulder problem that that I felt pretty confident. So yeah. you, you you got up to the top and you talk about experiencing perfection. You've conquered El Cap, which is to me like I can't think of another achievement by anyone in the world ever that's quite that impressive in many ways I, I i genuinely cannot think of anything anyone else has done i mean i can maybe fly to the moon but at least they've got a spaceship i, I think flying to the moon is is probably a lot more dangerous yeah, but that's than... that but that's a team effort you're on your own well in some ways that's what makes it more dangerous the thing about free soloing is that because it's all on me you know i can just work on it and, and there's no pressure there's no time pressure so i can just work on it until i feel comfortable and make sure that it's the right day and make sure that it's the right conditions and you know in theory, I could have just kept working on it indefinitely, yeah. you know, until until that perfect moment. Okay. So I just want to contrast your experience on El Cap with what happened to you on the Half Dome. Yeah, yeah. So um, it is it is sort of a classic contrast. I mean, uh, 
So I free soloed Halftime in 2008, and at the time it was uh, the most significant thing that I'd free soloed, and it was sort of big, big deal in the climbing industry or climbing world. Um, but uh, yeah, so that climb I specifically didn't prepare for. So earlier in the year I had free soloed something else called Moonlight Buttress, uh-huh. which was also sort of groundbreaking at the time. And for that, I had put quite a bit of rehearsal, in, or what seemed like, actually at the time, it was only two days, but it felt like a lot of rehearsal. I basically uh-huh. memorized the whole route. And yeah. it's, it's, it was a very simple route anyway. It's like one crack that goes up this buttress. And uh, so I felt like I'd put too much work into Moonlight. And so for Half Dome, I sort of intentionally chose not to prepare in the same way. Um, also, partially because Half Dome is, is much bigger and, it, and it's much higher off the valley floor, so it's r- hard to get up there. And so it would have been really hard to work on anyway because it's just it's too big a scale. It's a 2,000-foot face, so it's just hard to manage. I, at the time, I didn't even own 2,000 feet of rope. You know, I, did, I, I didn't know how you work on something like that. And so I figured that it was more sporting to just go up there and have an adventure and see how it went. And, um, and so I did, and uh, and you know didn't go that well. <laughs> it went poorly, you know. That's a, and so it was it was too much of an adventure. There was a moment that you spoke about where you've described it as like waking up. You woke up into this. Oh my lord, I'm really in a pickle here. Or it's more like you. Yeah, it's like you have a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was certain. There was a moment upon half down. I mean, so I had many little experiences climbing up the wall that were sort of fraying me mentally a little bit you know it was all sort of coming apart a little bit it was unraveling a little bit it's like this is all kind of scary but i was kind of holding it together and then up high basically the last hard move on the whole route um there's like a bald slab of it's just a smooth less than vertical wall so it means there are no real holds to no handholds to to use just like little tiny nubs that you can stand on with your feet so it's like all your weight is balanced over your feet and there's there's nothing to hold it feels very insecure and uh, I basically had to trust one more foothold and like stand up on this nothingness to to reach to sort of the the next good hold, and then from there to the top is another hundred feet, but but quite a bit easier. And uh, yeah, and I just started to hesitate, and then sort of started to panic, and you know didn't trust the foot, and then started to think maybe I should use my left foot, or maybe I should use the foot over here, or maybe I should try the smaller one that's out to the other side, like maybe that'll be okay. So I sort of try a couple different things, and you know I'm standing there in the middle of this blank wall, slowly getting more tired like oh no you know what's gonna happen and then uh yeah and then i ultimately had to sort of compose myself and make the move and you know i didn't fall so yeah. it worked out okay and but it was all it was all sort of horrifying at the yeah. time uh, so and obviously that completely altered the way you prepared for for el cap you told a really nice story in your ted talk where so you've done that and you can hear people talking on the other yeah, side and that's the whole thing with half dome is that so this whole time that i'm having this crazy experience I'm, I'm maybe 100 feet vertically below the summit. And uh, this, it's Half Dome is actually this crazy mountain where the summit is like juts out like a visor. It's called the visor. Uh-huh. And so you can occasionally see people's heads p- peering over the visor and they're looking straight down the 2,000 feet, like all the way to the ground. And so, you know, I can hear people all having a good time and it sounds like it's like a shopping mall or something above me. But I'm by myself having this crazy experience. Anyway, so I finally make the move and I charge the rest of the way to the summit because it's much easier terrain. And so I basically sprint to the top and I pop over the top and I'm, I'm shirtless and I'm like all pumped and you know, like, die, you know, like just had this crazy experience and there are all these people. And, and normally when you top out, you, you know, with a partner, you have a rope and all this gear jangling and people are like, Oh my God, did you climb the face? That is so crazy. But but this time I popped up and had nothing on me because, you know, I climbed without a rope and didn't get any reaction at all. And was kind of like, did, 
you know, it's like you want to like tap somebody. Did anybody see that? You know, but but they just think that you're a tourist because you're just like, oh, some shirtless dude hanging out by the side of side of Half Dome. And then I was walking down barefoot because uh, because climbing shoes are so tight and uncomfortable. And so then on the way down, that's when people are all like, did you hike up your barefoot? That's so crazy. Like that's so hardcore. And you're like, no, no, like that is not the that is not the takeaway here. See, that's like, almost the thought that was going through my head when we were walking through the office. I think you know people just unaware. Of you know what you've done, okay. So the timescale is different. You just popped over the mountain, but still, you know, it's not that long ago since you. Yeah, well, I hiked almost all the way down Halfdome. There are tons of people. It's crowded, and at the very bottom, there were some some like sort of runners, climbers coming up the other way, and they were like, you know, I'm walking down carrying climbing shoes. <laughs> and I'm, you know, they were like, oh wow, did did you free soul Halfdome? I was like, yes, <laughs> like <laughs> one person. <laughs> you know, like in fact, I did. Right, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So. We are talking about fear and risk. Mm-hmm. And I think about like what is the biggest risk that I've taken or that most people have taken? It's probably something like quitting a job. I was immediately going to say driving or traffic or, you know, navigating. Because, I mean, if you talk about actual the, the risk of physical harm, like what's the closest you come to death? I mean, it's basically. So, yeah. Purely from a statistical point of view. Yeah. Yeah, sure. What feels well, I, like the biggest risk for most people, though, would be like. But I think that's actually the key thing talking about fear yeah. is to differentiate between, you know, real justified fear and then just vague anxiety. Yeah, because certainly changing jobs can feel like you're yeah. going to die. It can be super scary. And you're like, yeah. I don't know. It's so tense. Yeah. But the reality is that you're not in any danger. You know, it just feels that way because you're sort of projecting out like, what if my career crumbles and what if I can't eat? I think the key to how scary it is, is whether or not you're actually in danger. Right. You know, and so... Are you were in danger? Well, no, well, that's kind of the whole point is that with the two years of preparation, I didn't feel like I was in danger anymore. Okay, you didn't feel like felt... you were in danger, but you were still in danger. Well, kind of, yeah. So I was in a very high consequence position, you know, meaning like had anything gone wrong, I, I would have died. But the the likelihood of anything going wrong felt extremely small to me. Right, you know, okay. it felt like close to zero. Yeah, okay. So to me, it didn't feel dangerous because I knew, you know, in the same way that walking on the sidewalk doesn't feel dangerous. You know, even though if you fell off the sidewalk in front of a bus, you would still die. But it doesn't feel dangerous because sure. you know you won't fall off the sidewalk. Because I mean, fear. You know, everybody should feel fear if they're in danger. Like if there is an actual threat to their life, you should feel fear because that's warning you to to uh-huh. behave in the right way. You're listening to Don't Tell Me The School with me, Simon Mundy, and climbing legend Alex Honnold. Coming up in this second half, Alex talks about how he overcame social anxiety and a fear of public speaking, how important it is for people to realise how much safer modern life is than we may be led to think, how easy it is to get fears out of proportion, how anxiety and excitement are linked, why drinking alcohol is cheating, and how to set goals to minimise fear and improve things like your social skills. There's this interesting part in the film where you have an MRI. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And the amygdala part of your brain, well, in your case, you were shown scary images when you were in the yeah. MRI. Yeah. And in most people, that, that would fire up the amygdala and, yeah. and they would feel fear. And they said... Um, Right, you basically have no, yeah, no activation. No activation. Now, a lot of people have leapt to leapt to conclusions about this. Now, to some degree, clearly, then you must be wired that way. To some degree, yeah, or, or maybe started slightly further down that path. I think I think that's yeah the real takeaway. Yeah, so you you were you were a bit more down that path, but a lot of people say, oh, you're wired differently. But for me as well, it's the amount of rock climbing you've done because mm. you have to be so focused. It's like hardcore meditating like you are so in the yeah, moment you're so present how many hours do you reckon you've spent climbing and totally focused while doing it well climbing I, I, mean, I don't know i mean 22 years now at uh let's see um uh, if i'm going five days a week say at least 15 hours a week for for 20 years okay. i'm like i don't know somebody do some quick math <laughs> that's say it. 60 hours a month 600 a year at least times so at least 12,000 13 okay. 14, all right so you're hours. you're in almost ball, yeah. yogi ballpark figures where yeah, you I mean, where yeah, your mind train 14,000 hours of climbing that's so much <laughs> I, I could be totally wrong that was all just but um but that yeah that's a lot of freaking that, climbing that is a lot of climbing and a lot yeah. of focused attention that whole yeah. time because you you described it as being like like almost animal like certainly not all of it is quite that intense sure. <laughs> you know because a lot okay. of climbing is at the climbing gym with your friends and you're having right. fun yeah, yeah. but um but yeah i mean the thing that i thought about about the amygdala was that um the, just that I've experienced so much fear in my life through climbing and through free souling that that I just require a certain level a greater level of stimulus to 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 have that response to trigger the amygdala. Yeah. That's... You know, because basically looking at pictures does not seem scary compared to actually hanging on the side of a cliff. No, sure. You know. Yeah. See that's what I thought as well. And I think a lot of people have leapt to the conclusion, oh you were born. Yeah, this people way. see that section of the film and they think, oh he doesn't feel fear. And I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, I think that's the overly simplistic. Yeah. Be- because I know that I feel fear. I mean sure. every, everybody feels fear. Yeah. And I know how much the my response has changed over ten years, you know, because the first time I free solid was a lot more intense than yeah. than than even something like Go Cap in some ways. Yeah, you know, the first things that I free solid, I was like, "This is crazy!" Like it felt pretty intense. Sure, yeah, of course. But, and so I'm going to drop back a little bit now and sort of into um, like growing up, right? Okay, so for me, now I grew up in let's say like, I love my mum and dad, right? Okay. But I grew up in I would say a quite a volatile environment. And, you know, it's definitely left its imprint on me. And you growing up, there were elements of, of what I heard about your story of, that of really resonated. Yeah. yeah. So the perfect the, family life. You know, so your your father, who sadly died when you were 19. Yeah. He was not an expressive man. And you talked no, about... That's, for, that's, that's very fair, yeah. <laughs> and you talked about, like, not there was not much hugging going on when you were growing up. 
when that was with my whole extended family right, as well, as well. for whatever reason yeah. because i was actually really close to my father's parents my grandparents yeah. lived right near us you sure and then uh his older brother so my aunt and uncle also lived near us and so yeah. the whole family was actually pretty like it's a really good family in a lot of ways sure. we see each other all the time like good holidays everyone hangs out and i'm still quite close to my aunts and uncles and my, my grandparents but um but especially when i was a kid there was no physical kind there was no hugging there was no it was all very you know buttoned up type of you, yeah i don't know and then it's just one of those quirks and, and it's interesting because as adults now we you know i hug my aunt and uncle every time i see him like oh good to see you guys and now it all feels normal but i'm like why wasn't this normal 30 yeah, years ago yeah, yeah, like what you know what the heck and your mother is a perfectionist like, yeah yeah so she came out with that what, what was it line um good all, enough isn't good, that's it. good enough isn't <laughs> what a fabulous line that is the main thing though is that mom only spoke french to us as kids <laughs> so the, the main one was presque ne compas like you know almost doesn't count right. but so mom has only spoken french to me my whole life and then i just spoke english uh, but to, and just but, to be clear she's not french though well she was a french teacher and she, she studied french. in france and right. she, she she loves french right okay <laughs> yeah she's yeah. into french and uh, she really wanted me and my sister to be uh cultured you know i mean mom still only speaks to me in french so yeah i mean i understand her pretty <laughs> that's well that's amazing yeah, uh, yeah mon sujet favori à la cour. oh oh ouais oui oh magnifique uh, merci <laughs> uh ma première petite copine c'était française oh man your accent's possibly worse than mine <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, so your mum spoke to, to you in French, and she spoke as well about, right from an early age, treating you as little adults. That's actually probably true. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that, but, um, yeah. but yeah, that's that's a fair characterization. Yeah. So as an adult, and again, I think mom as an adult is a very loving woman, or, you know, much kinder. Yeah. But when we were young, like, I don't know, she's pretty stern. Yeah. Know? And actually, and more than that, she was pretty driven on her own things. Like she was conducting an orchestra when I was a little kid and she was right. like writing books and she was, you know, a professor and doing all these things and, you know, very ambitious and driven. And, um, and I think that, that my sister and I were just sort of, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say in the way, but she had a lot going like, on. Yeah, exactly. And my, my parents were way into the, the sort of laissez-faire style of parenting where, uh, you know, I could disappear for a day at a time, have some outrageous adventure, come home and, and nobody would even ask like, oh, where were you all day? And you'd be like, doesn't anyone want to know what happened today? It's crazy. Like, yeah, so you're, you're used no to kind of underwhelming uh, reactions in many ways yeah, to, yeah. Your, yeah, to your big so. achievements. Yeah. Do you think if you'd have been hugged more, you would have climbed El Cap? Yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, yeah, it's really hard to know. Um, I mean, had I been hugged a lot more, I, you know, I think it's likely that I maybe wouldn't have gone down the whole path, you know. Though, I mean, so, I mean, really, if we start to untangle it all, it's it's complicated because part of the only reason that I dropped out of university and sort of went climbing full time mm -hmm. is because my father died. Yeah. Um, yeah, and part of that was just the practical side because he left life insurance for my sister and I to finish college. And so um, so I put that into bonds and then that's sort of what allowed me to live on the road and go climbing for a couple mm -hmm. of years. And so it kind of gave me that, that you know, the the opportunity to climb for a few years without having to, to worry about what I was doing with my life. So I was like, oh, you know, we'll see. And then I sort of became a professional climber. So it's like hard to separate all those things. Who knows yeah. how you wind up on your path. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I know uh, now I'm just sort of like, oh, you know, my childhood, huh? You know, it's well, like, now I'll be sitting here thinking for a while. It shapes all of us, you know? Yeah, yeah it of really, course. It really does. So we spoke about your amygdala mm -hmm. and the way you trained it, as well as the fact that, you know, there was probably some... Yeah, it know, was probably slightly less, yeah. less active than normal to right. begin with. But when you were at university, so you had a year at university and, mm -hmm. and you were uncomfortable talking to strangers, so you'd go mm -hmm. off and, and free solo climb. So mm -hmm. you do experience fear or anxiety perhaps as you would put it 
Yeah, yeah. No, no, of course I experienced it. I mean, and when I was even younger, I mean, I was horrified of public speaking. Um, and even as I became a professional climber, I was horrified of public speaking. The first few slideshows I gave, I mean, I was like, I was so gripped. And the, yeah, and actually, I, I was just thinking about this on, on this particular trip to London that I've been on. Um, I've been sort of noticing, I mean, I often will sort of skip meals or, or basically not eat because I don't want to interact. Basically, I don't want to go into some random shop and interact with some random person I don't know. And, you know, I just, I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll just wait until dinner. Like, I don't need anything, sure. you know, for a few hours. And I mean, that still probably comes from the same place that it did at university where I'm like, I basically had no friends because, I mean, I was going to University of California, Berkeley, which is a really big university public with, uh, you know, 50,000 students or something. And so the classes have 400 people in them. And so you don't necessarily know anybody and you don't see the same people ever. And so you're never forced to make friends. And so I just, yeah, I went through the whole year at university without knowing anyone. Do you find intimacy scary? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think so. And I think that's all shown in the film pretty yeah. well, too. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's also the film shows, I guess the film is two years and then yeah. it's a year of post-production. But so I've been dating Sonny still for, for three years. And uh, I mean, it's been a three-year journey. She is an angel. Yeah, and, she's and pretty amazing. Yeah, she, she's amazing. She's helped, uh, you know, sort of guide me through. You can see how you, how you grew and your yeah. relationship grew in that mm -hmm. time. Like, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you definitely... Yeah, and, and certainly in. any relationship would grow because, I mean, we did it for three years. So sure. at the beginning of filming, we had just met. And so obviously we're not that close because, mm. you know, we don't know each other. Now after three years, obviously we're quite close because we've lived together. But um, Quite close. Yeah. It is interesting that, you know, we all feel fear in different ways and, and it all comes out in different ways. But so you've conquered your fear utterly in a superhuman fashion when it comes to, to, to rock climbing. So, so fear, I mean, I, I keep saying that fear should be predicated upon danger. You know, like, are you actually in danger? What's the actual likelihood of something terrible happening to you? And so preparation is basically your way of, of, of lowering that likelihood of something terrible happening. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, f specifically about freestyling El Cap, as I prepared more, as I learned all the moves, you know, I was less and less likely to fall off once I knew exactly how to climb it. And so the idea was to get it down to where it felt like zero. You know, there was no way I was going to fall off that because it's so easy for me. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, there are some climbs that I'm like, 100%, I will never fall off of this. Right. You know, unless unless I have some catastrophic health thing or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I have an aneurysm. Okay. You know? How does rain affect when you're... Well, then you're hosed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you're in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean... The bigger issue is actually wetness, like water coming out of the wall right. um, because the ground table, like with the water table, mm -hmm. you know, basically the huge cliff, you know, there's there's water inside the earth. And so depending on how much it's rained and snowed in the high country, there's water that basically is seeping out of the cliff. Oh. And so during my whole preparation, there'd actually been twice as the normal snowfall that year, that, that winter in oh. California. It was kind of a crazy heavy winter. And so most of the time that I was preparing for the free solo, a lot of the cracks were actually quite wet. But I was sort of hoping that they would dry out before it got too hot and it was summertime. So it was like this narrow window of, you know, not too hot, but dry yeah. that, I, that I was looking for. And so, you know, and thankfully it did ultimately dry out. But, you know, a lot of my preparation was spent working around, you know, the wetness and the cracks and, yeah. and you know, hoping that it would come together. And the level of preparation that you have. So you talk about it in your mind, you're rehearsing it the whole time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're feeling what it would feel like on your foot. Yeah, your that's hand. the part that I think is the real visualization. Right. I mean, so a lot of that is the memorization, which I guess, you know, you lump into visualization or mental training as well. But um, but that's sort of the literal side of it is the memorizing left hand, right hand and just remembering the sequence. But then the real visualization is the sort of deeper level of the emotional. What will it feel like to be in that position? Huh. You know what? 
like emotionally, what will it be like to look down into the abyss while I put my foot onto this tiny, tiny little edge and, yeah. then, and then trust my life to it? You know, th- <laughs> things like that. I mean, scary. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why that's why I spent so much time thinking about those kinds of things so that I wouldn't have some moment up on the wall where I suddenly experienced something that I'd never thought of before that I'd never imagined. Yeah. You know, you don't want to look down at your foot and think like, oh my gosh, you know, like I can't, I can't believe that's what I'm going to step on. Yeah, sure. Visualization's really always interested me because a lot of people talk about the importance of it, particularly in sport, but Mm. also in so many other areas of life. It always, always driven me crazy because I, feel like I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at creating mental images. I, I'm not sure about it. It's something I struggle with. So have you always had a, that kind of... I've always felt good at it. It's easy yeah. for me to construct worlds in my head and just right. like imagine and... Where you can feel yeah. and, and both sensations yeah, and emotions. Yeah, and emotions and yeah. And the tactile, the you know, the feeling yeah. like what would yeah. it feel like to bite my fingers down on this little hole, be sharp on this one finger, but not on the others. But, and, it's and all just vivid imagination, vivid I Vivid imagination, okay. So yeah. if anyone like me who's not very good at it, would you give any any tips on how to, to nail visualization? Because clearly know. it was the most in, one of the most integral things for you. I mean, honestly, just hearing you say that is the first time it's occurred to me that maybe some people can't imagine things in the same way. Really, like yeah. is that a thing? Yeah. Because I mean, you thing. know, everyone feels so normal inside yeah. their own head. I was just like, oh, I assume that everybody can imagine the same way. Some of that might have to do with, I mean, just because we were talking about childhood and all that stuff. I mean, you know, so I was always into, you know, fantasy and stuff like reading Lord of the Rings or whatever and like playing computer games as a kid, you know, very dorky, very whatever. Uh But I mean, it definitely comes with a sense of imagining worlds, imagining, you know, or even reading, uh, you know, like the Dune trilogy or something as a kid, like imagining this whole universe, you know, like reading sci-fi, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, having a vivid imagination certainly does help in, in some ways if you're constructing this whole experience in your own head. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, as, as another thing I wanted to say, I mean, so visualization is really, I think, the, the only way to practice for something that you can't physically practice. Yeah. And so, I mean, you have to just imagine it as with as much detail as possible because you want it to be as close to the real experience as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're basically practicing, yeah. but it's just something that you can't honestly practice. You know, I was never able to just schedule a two-hour, like, now I'm going to practice free soloing in my head. So, um, so for me, I, I had to, um, like I erased all the apps on my phone. I, I stopped answering email. Basically I erased social media, all those things. Uh, um, so I had all this free time, sort of like empty space in my, in my time. And then that sort of filled itself in naturally with visualization. And, and I felt like that was a more, it was an easier way for it to just sort of naturally unfold, yeah. you know, because I felt like the parts that I needed to spend more time visualizing, like say the boulder problem, the karate kick, things like that, I would sort of find myself drifting back to them over and over, you know, because I needed to, because they were the really momentous parts of the climb, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, that is going to be crazy. And I would just yeah. find myself thinking about it a lot. Right. Okay. So but, once you got up there, it, it, how similar is it then once you're up there to, to, to the visualization? It can be pretty similar. The other real strength of visualization is to imagine all the things that won't ever happen or, or that you don't want to happen. I mean, so I was also visualizing what it would be like for my foot to slip and for me to fall to my death or for me to do the karate kick, but to miss it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then have a moment of like, Oh my God, my foot's in the wrong spot, but maybe I can do it with the foot in the wrong spot. I don't know, you know, but then also ranging from what it'll feel like to pop over the top and be like, I am the man, you know, <laughs> like, this is awesome, you know? And, and so, you know, you want the full spectrum of experience yeah. just so that none of it is a surprise when okay. it actually happens. And, and honestly, even imagining what it would like be like to walk up to the base and look up at the wall without a rope and be like, oh gosh, yeah, you know, today's sure. the day. So can you, you know? are you able then to create emotion at, at will in your body? So you could create excitement, you could create happiness, sadness. To some extent, except 
Yeah, I mean, I think that if I really imagine, you know, something terrible happening, yeah, I can sort of create sadness. But the thing is, um, I feel like I, I experience all my emotions in a very stunted way. So, you know, I, I often joke with my girlfriend that my whole emotional spectrum, say if most people operate from 1 to 10, I sort of operate between, you know, 4.5 and 6. I'm on a very narrow window in the middle that's always, you know, right yeah. around 5. I'm sort yeah. of like, oh, you know, I feel pretty even keel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I might be able to visualize something. You know, like visualizing summoning all cap gets me up to about a 5.3. Okay. You know, I'm like, great success. What would be your tangible tips then for when someone is having their metaphoric stood 2,000 feet up a sheer Well, face? I mean, my biggest tip is always to... People are so overwhelmed by fear. And I think it might be because people just don't experience that much real fear in their life. Like people just aren't afraid very often because life is very safe. I mean, if we're living yeah. in the Western world, life is safe. You know, on a day-to-day -day basis, you don't get afraid. And so I think that most people, when they experience fear, it's this overwhelming emotion, this overwhelming sensation like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And it all sort of falls apart. But the thing is, fear is a physically it's a physiological response i mean your body is basically sending you a signal in the same way that hunger is a signal or you know sleepiness is a signal i mean your body is basically telling you something and whether or not you choose to act on it is 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 up to you and so you know because you're feeling fear that doesn't necessarily mean anything you know it's your body telling you that it should be your body telling you that you're in danger and then and then you can act on that how you see fit but it doesn't need to rule you the way you know like right now i'm experiencing hunger but i'm not like oh my god i'm hungry i'm hungry i'm hungry what do i do oh my god i'm hungry yeah. i'm like oh i know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna wait until we're done chatting and i'm gonna yeah. go get food eventually you yeah. know and it's like and it doesn't matter because i know that's fine sure and you know fear can definitely be the same way but i think that people are so you know unused to be being afraid mm. that you know they just lack that, that level of nuance yeah you know it's hard to parse out your fear. Yeah. So it's, uh, a quote I quite like is, any feeling is fine, but any reaction isn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, feeling fear is, you know, whatever. Like, that's just happening. How you how you react to it is, is on you. Yeah. So so when I do broadcast, so when I come on the radio or whatever, like, mm. I'll often, particularly if I'm doing something live, feel... Yeah, 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 and I remember exactly. early in my career, I'd be like, "Oh no, go away, go away, go away!" And obviously, that would make that would amplify it. Yeah, exactly. But now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm like, okay, it's there. Hello, almost yeah, exactly. welcome it. Yeah. And then it can often change into to excitement. Like you say, you learn to not to not exactly. be ruled by it. Yeah, and certainly walking up to the base all cap, you know, I look up and you certainly have some butterflies as well. But but you're like, oh, this is excitement. I'm so excited to yeah. do this thing that I've trained for for so long. Yeah. But or you could be like, I'm so afraid, you know, or yeah. whatever. I mean, or you can just say, oh, I'm nervous or I'm, you know, anytime you're doing something that hasn't been done before, you're going to feel some kind of emotion because you're yeah. just like, oh, this is this is new. Yeah. You know, like it's fundamentally new. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's fine. Yeah. You know? People will often not do something because of fear, quit a job, go and speak to a woman or a man who then mm -hmm. might find a you know all these different things we keep talking about fear and to me i always want to bring it back to are you actually in danger right. like what is the actual downside of yeah. of this and so i mean a lot of those you know social anxieties things you know not wanting to and and certainly i've had a lot of issues with talking to yeah. to, to a, attractive people in my life where i'm like <laughs> oh no like i could never do that yeah and it certainly feels like you're gonna die but yeah. realistically you're not gonna die and sometimes you just have to and that's all practice too dating is so much practice at some yeah. point you just have to force yourself to do the thing and, and yeah. just practice you just go over and say hi yeah because it gets easier to do that you know the more you, the more you practice it's really interesting in this in this country um that everyone like gets quite drunk 
on on a Mm. weekend often it's a real cultural thing but part of that is undoubtedly down to social anxiety yeah (laughs) whatever other reason doesn't that feel like cheating though not not when your whole nation's doing it you know oh it's still cheating i agree you know because then you're not overcoming your fear you're basically just you're not even managing you're you're not even getting to the underlying issues you're just sort of you know medicating them away and that's not really the yeah i don't think that's the way forward okay so so someone who to talk to someone of the opposite sex has to drink uh, of a weekend every weekend the advice they there is stop. you're cheating stop yeah well Push I, I don't know fear. well or i mean they should at least consider the idea that they should take on that aspect of their life in the same way that they would physical training or something like that where they're like this weekend i'm going to the pub i'm not getting drunk i'm gonna force myself to speak to three strangers doesn't yeah. matter if you know i get a number or not it doesn't matter if i ever see them again but i'm yeah. just gonna practice talking yeah. to strangers i mean you know there's something to be said for just setting goals working toward them executing yeah. and just in every area i, I did that with social skills and I mean, if if you're the one person who's not drunk by the middle of the night, like you, you look like a champion by then, you know. You're like, wow, he's so thoughtful and articulate and kind. You're yeah. Like, yeah, because I'm not smashed. Because <laughs> like, I mean, there's so few things in the modern world where you actually risk real death. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. yeah. Statistically, I mean, humans are more or less likely to die through violence now than any time yeah. in, in human history. And yet, we're you know, getting all like, swept up, aren't we? That yeah, totally. Coming to yeah, everyone's end. so stressed about terrorism and stressed about war and stressed about conflict, and yet. You know, statistically, you're less likely to be harmed than you ever have been. Yeah. And then another quote of yours that I liked about it. So doubt is precursor to fear. That I think is 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 really true. Um, I think that, yeah, it's easy for fear to creep in if you just don't know what what's going to play out. I think doubt, you know, when you start questioning, you start second guessing. I mean, that's when you get really afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the really important thing with visualization is to play through all the different scenarios so that so that you have less room for your imagination to run wild, you know, so that you don't, um, yes, yeah, so you don't start doubting things like, okay. oh, I don't know, you know, what if this happened? What if that happened? If you've already thought through all those different what ifs, yeah, um, I think there's less room to be afraid. So my other biggest thing with fear, a lot of people talk about overcoming fear, and I think that's useful for some things when you just have to take the plunge or, you know, like yeah. diving into cold water. You're sure. like, I don't want to, it'll be afraid, but you just have to do it. But in a bigger sense, you basically just have to broaden your comfort zone until something isn't scary anymore. And that was the whole case with El Cap is that it's too big and too difficult for me just to take a plunge. You know, I can't just yeah. decide like, okay, I'm going to do it. I can't get psyched up, listen to a bunch of rock music and be like, here I go and then start. Yeah. You have to be focused on it for a long time. So the only way to do that is to actually get to the point where it's just not that scary. That's the whole systematically broadening your comfort zone. I mean, that's the person in the pub day in, day out, yeah. you know, speaking to strangers, slowly yeah. getting more and more comfortable to the point where it's not scary to talk to strangers anymore. Yeah, so a guy who walks into a pub day one, nervous wreck, yeah, by so, incrementally pushing himself each day, mm-hmm. by day three six five, he could walk in there and and charm absolutely everyone. Bar yeah, staff, he could be owner. singing to the whole bar. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's having a good time. He's buying drinks for the whole crew. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I think, and the thing is that on day one, he's overcoming fear. You know, he's sweating. He's like, oh no, yeah. and he's just taking the plunge. You know, to go over and talk to that first person. By day thirty, you know, he's still a little bit afraid, but it's less of yeah. it's less scary. And yeah. then eventually. You know, and then at some point he's talked to, to to men and to women and to old people and to young people. He's talked to everybody. Now his comfort zone is huge. Yeah. You know, because he's now had all these different experiences. He's talked to really drunk people. He's talked to sober people. So it's like he's talked to everyone. He's talked yeah. to the homeless guy out front. You know, he's talked to the full spectrum. Yeah. And then now he's just comfortable and it's no longer scary at all to go into any pub and talk to anybody. Yeah, and that's but, mastery. 
Yeah, I think so. And then you talk about sort of mastery and perfection, and, and that's yeah, I mean, okay. You did it on a silly, silly scale, silly epic scale, <laughs> like this superhuman feat. But it, that's what it is, broken down, right? Well, I mean, I think that I've gone through exactly that process of chatting. You know, as a professional climber over years, having to give slideshows, having to do interviews, do yeah. things like that. I mean, you know, me as a sixteen-year-old could not do. I mean, couldn't have this conversation. Sure. It would have been a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but through yeah. you know fifteen twenty years yeah. of practice is you know starting to feel more comfortable. So the systematic might, might still be a disaster, but you know, <laughs> but listeners can judge. So the systematic approach that's that's the key to it. I think that's the real key. I mean, the systematic approach is the key for mastery. Yeah, I mean, just taking the plan, overcoming fear will get you through certain certain situations. But yeah, I mean, the long term approach for for mastery is. is is the real bit by bit yeah so yeah think long term yeah i, I think that's that's the well, real they, way they say people overestimate how much they can achieve in a month but underestimate how much they can achieve in 10 years or a variation yeah, for sure. thereof. yeah no no i think yeah that's super true yeah it's been an absolute pleasure as i said this film is jaw-dropping and uh alex's achievement is genuinely superhuman there isn't you'll never see anything like it alex it's a, a, a genuine treat for me to to meet you and, and to chat with you and oh, i hope we've you. done fear a bit of justice i think this is a very honest exploration of fear and anxiety and and, and I mean, yeah no i think everybody worries about this kind of stuff yeah. and it's because it's so universal i mean everybody sure. feels fear and it's, it's something that everyone has to deal with Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening and if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.